from Washington. This is Talking Tax. I'm Amanda Icone. This week, we dive into micro-captives, one of the IRS's so-called dirty dozen tax scams. IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick has said that cracking down on these transactions is a priority. And in September, the IRS offered a settlement deal to some companies accused of using the schemes to dodge taxes. Bloomberg tax reporter Allison Verspril joins me to talk about these schemes and the latest developments in the agency's fight against an industry that's been under scrutiny for several years. Allison, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. What are micro-captive insurance arrangements and who is promoting these transactions? I think to get into this discussion of what a micro-captive is, you really have to start with you know, captive insurance companies in general. So a captive insurance company uh, is formed to insure the risk of an operating business. It's often insuring the risk of the corporate parent that actually forms it, sometimes the subsidiaries of that corporate parent. Um, you know, one of the main benefits and the reasons why these are typically structured is that a captive can insure risks that are otherwise. They can't be insured uh, because they're too expensive or because coverage isn't available in the commercial marketplace. Um, and so this is where these really become a useful tool. Micro-captives, that's the name given to the small version of these you know, captive insurance arrangement structures, and they can get a tax break under the tax code. So to qualify, you must have $2.3 million or less in premium income. And if you do meet that, that qualification, the law allows the companies to be taxed only on their investment income. So they're not paying taxes on that premium income that they're, that they're getting. So there are lawful, legitimate reasons for these arrangements. But so how do they become abusive? How do they become a tax scam that the IRS would be worried about? So the IRS gave some insight into, you know, the types of transactions that it finds abusive and the settlement deal that it offered to, you know, those taxpayers that you mentioned earlier in the discussion. And, you know, specifically what it said it's looking at are situations where wealth planners or accountants or any other, you know, type of person that it identifies as a promoter um, has touted an arrangement that lacks many of the attributes of genuine insurance. Um, So, you know, really what they're looking for there is the company actually paying out claims or, you know, is it insuring risks that are unlikely to ever lead to losses by the policyholders and thus, you know, there, there are no claims ever being paid. There are other things that they're looking at as well. And from talking to people, it seemed like the most egregious offenses uh, at the beginning of this were in the estate tax planning realm. And I, even when I first started covering this several years ago, you know, saw articles where people were promoting having a micro-captive arrangement as part of your estate tax plan. And this, you know, these discussions were happening at tax conferences where IRS employees were in attendance. And so a lot of people point to that time period as when the agency started cracking down. Um, Congress actually stepped in in 2015 and did pass some legislative changes to crack down a little bit on the estate planning aspect of this. You know, but what practitioners and the IRS have said is that there's a lot that has still gone unchecked. Well, and some of these cases have gone to court, right? I mean, what kind of outcomes have we seen? What kind of cases have we been seeing go through the tax court? The first major case that played out in tax court uh, was a case called Avrahami versus Commissioner. 
And the IRS ended up winning this case in 2017. But basically what it involved was a married couple. Um, They owned several shopping centers and jewelry stores in Phoenix, Arizona. They had established an offshore captive insurance company to cover their stores against risks such as terrorist attacks, specifically those involving radioactivity from, quote, dirty bombs uh, or from nuclear fuel or waste. And this was something that the IRS saw and, you know, looked at it and was doubted that it was some type of genuine insurance arrangement. The judge ended up agreeing. There were obviously some other aspects of the arrangement that the IRS disagreed with. We've also seen two other cases uh, that have come down the line, both of which that the IRS has won. And, you know, that's leading to a lot of what we're seeing right now with the settlement deal. Speaking of the settlement deal, talk about the offers. Um, When did those letters go out? What did they say? Who was included? And perhaps more interestingly, who was excluded from the settlement? So the potential mass settlement deal had been in talks for, I mean, people were telling me this about a year ago, even that the IRS may be considering something just because of the amount of cases that existed. We saw this deal come out earlier this month, and it was extended to up to 200 participants in microcaptive arrangements. So specifically, you know, the insurance companies themselves or the companies that they were insuring. Uh, notably, they left out any of those promoters. So those are people that organized or sold the arrangements. The IRS did not extend uh, this deal to them. So currently, the deal that's on the table right now is limited to companies who have at least one open tax year under audit. The IRS specifically left out cases that have already been filed with the tax court. And we know from the agency's own discussions that they have more than 500 pending docketed cases. So what's next for those who didn't receive a settlement? A lot of companies are actually going to be asking for this because I think with all of the scrutiny, a lot of people are just exhausted. They're tired of the attention. A lot of them would like to just wipe their hands of it and, and get out. And so some, you know, viewed at least the current the first deal as somewhat beneficial if you if you know if you're just trying to get out of the deal because you still got to keep, you know, a very small portion of your the deductions that you'd claimed, but still you got a tax break, a bit of one. And, you know, maybe more significantly, you were able to reduce a lot of your penalties uh, if you could prove certain things to the IRS. A lot of people will potentially be clamoring for these. Uh, The IRS has already said that it's going to consider extending um, settlement offers to more taxpayers. And also people talk about the fact that they have limited resources. There are still so many cases under audit or pending in the court. It kind of seems like, you know, something has to happen in order for them to close some of these cases. And what's the impact of the IRS crackdown on taxpayers who want to make use of these arrangements? Is it scaring anyone away? Are they still being used for legitimate purposes? Well, so, you know, the people I will talk to will say, clearly, even before this crackdown started, there were legitimate purposes for setting up these arrangements. And, you know, the scrutiny in and of itself has had sort of a chilling effect on the industry where people have stopped, you know, wanting to get involved in these because they're just like, you know, the IRS is coming after these people the deal doesn't necessarily help with that because, you know, even the captives that agree to this deal have to shut down their their operation if they haven't done so already. So basically, you're taking those out of the market. And, you know, with more people potentially coming in to future deals and, you know, deals in the future, we'll see a lot of these go away. And so it definitely has an impact on the industry. And I think you're definitely seeing people get scared uh, away from these arrangements. Will all of those have their day in court? Will this affect the outcome of those of the litigation that's already ongoing. 
So I do expect that we'll see more of these make their way through the court system. You know, in talking with attorneys, they say the IRS in the the first three cases that it won really picked situations that were particularly egregious with um, what they would say are really bad facts. And they think it's a little unfair that there's been this such this backlash against the industry when we haven't had a case that maybe is a bit stronger on the taxpayer side. Um, so you can have some real idea of what you should and shouldn't do, right? Because some of the cases that have come down the line have been so abusive that they say that's not the majority of people. So we should see some of those cases come down the pike. It would be interesting to see where the court system falls on that. Because as other people will point out, you know, we have these micro captives, but we also have the larger captives that ensure risk of larger corporations. And those have made their way in the tax through the tax court system and have received favorable judgments. So we'll see if there'll be some some favorable judgments on the, the micro captive side. Well, we know you'll be watching it. I'd like to thank Bloomberg tax reporter Ali Versprill for joining me today. All right. Thanks for having me. And here's some of the week's tax and accounting news. Find these headlines and more at news.bloombergtax.com. India's Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, told chief executives in New York and Houston that now is the time to invest in his country. He touted India's recent corporate tax cut and other initiatives and called it a golden opportunity for investment. He spoke this week at Bloomberg's Global Business Forum eBay, the online sales giant, will get as much as $150 million in a new 15-year deal with its hometown of San Jose. The sales tax sharing arrangement is similar to deals that other California cities have with big companies that reside within their borders. Apple, for example, has had such a deal with Cupertino for more than two decades. And be sure to check out our Insights, where practitioners explore hot topics in tax and accounting. This week, Simon Weber of Duff & Phelps explores the numerous proposals coming out of the OECD's project to reach a global consensus on taxation of the digital economy. That's it for this week's edition. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icohn. Cases and Controversies is all about the Supreme Court. Oh, come on. You know, come on. Well, I agree with you. Be serious. We sit down with leading practitioners and scholars to break down these cases. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up so I didn't have to. uh... Oh, I didn't know that. That is interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts. As always, check out the latest at (laughs) news.bloomberglaw.com. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.